Hey everybody, welcome to Sanity at the Movies, Lord of the Rings edition. My name is Nathan Alverson, that's Pastor Jake Benzel right there. Hello Jake. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing well because we are swerving away all of a sudden from Disney princesses for several reasons that we should probably explain. Yeah. Number one, which I think we still got to talk about lots of these Disney princesses. Well, we're going to come back and finish we're all gonna the We're going to come Disney back and, but I don't know when because we've got Indiana Jones that we need to do. Yeah. Because... You guys unlocked the first part of the superhero's journey. Mm-hmm. And so. And how. The Indiana Jones movies are coming your way. Indiana Jones movies are coming your way. Deep dives. We're going to extract every bit of juice out of the juicy, juicy fruit that is Indiana Jones. And. I've not had a stick of juicy fruit since I was a kid. We're going to salivate all over that bazooka joe until it turns chewable it breaks our teeth until it breaks our teeth remember that stuff <laughs> i remember that stuff boy was i excited it was really dorky comics that weren't fun or funny but you wanted it anyway yeah like it's he's got mort his friend with an eye patch yeah for some reason <laughs> i don't know what happened to mort's eye but <laughs> i remember there was a guy named mort and i think he had kind of a turtleneck yeah that's right and Bazooka Joe was really cool. I remember that. He had a cool name, Bazooka Joe. And that's about all I remember. Yeah. And the gum was truly some of the worst semi-edible substances ever made by man. So Bazooka Joe actually wears the eye patch. Oh, he does. That's right. Mort just has a turtleneck that covers he his just has mouth, a, maybe. Like, yeah, that covers his mouth and makes his neck really long. So there's Pesty, who is formerly Orville. Mm-hmm who may be Joe's younger brother, and he wears the sombrero. There's Mort, the gangly boy with the red turtleneck pulled up over his mouth. There's Hungry Herman, Joe's tubby pal. There's Jane, Joe's girlfriend. There's Tuffy, a streetwise type who wears a sailor hat. Oh, yeah, I remember Tuffy. There's Metal Dude, a blonde mulleted fan of heavy metal music, and Walkie Talkie, a neighborhood mutt. There you go. Hilarious stuff. Here's one. Mort says... Joe, I got these medals at school. He's got some medals pinned to his creepy. Mort would be ready for coronavirus, actually. He's, his yeah. mouth is all covered up. Joe says, what did you get them for, Mort? One I got for good memory. And the other one, I don't remember. <laughs> and Joe's kind of got a, a grin on his face. Old Mort, <laughs> always up to shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one right here, too. Yeah, let's hear it. This enough for three socks? And he's holding what appears this to be Mort a bottle. Is this Mort or Joe? Or? Mort, Mort's talking. He appears to be holding a ball of yarn. There is, in fact, a sign that Joe is like holding that says yarn. This enough for three socks? Joe responds, three socks. Mort rep- replies, my mom wants to knit socks for my brother in the army. Why three socks, says Joe. Well, he wrote in his letter, says Mort, and then... Joe has this like troubled, puzzled look on his face. Two weeks in the army and I've grown another foot. Get it? Because he wanted three socks done. Because if he like has grown a foot tall in the army, but Mort did the thing that you just did, which is I see. assume that he managed to mutate and grow a third foot. I mean, I could see Chip McGregory having a similar confusion to be fair. I can too. All right. Well, let's talk about another great work of literature that we've been reading over on the bookening. Well, hang on one second, because I think while we're talking about Indiana Jones. Oh, yeah. That's... Now that we've unlocked Indiana Jones, we uh, the next part of our superhero's journey oh, yes. 
Superheroes Journey Part 2. It's called The Comics Hit the Big Screen. And that will be a deep dive into both the Christopher Reeve Superman movies and the Tim Burton Batman films. And that's unlocked at $250 a month. And so, guys, if you want to keep the superheroes journey going, even though we're not starting it today and haven't started it yet, but we're about to, we're about to launch Indiana Jones. If you want to keep that journey going, get us up to $250 by the time we get done with Indiana Jones. We'll keep going through the Christopher Reeve Superman and the Tim Burton Batman stuff, and that'll be a lot of fun. And that'll push us closer to something I'm really looking forward to. I think part three of the superhero's journey is going to give us a whole lot of gold. Is that Nolan? That's Nolan and Sam Raimi. That'll be fun. That'll be fun. The Spider-Man. I'm looking forward to that second one. I mean, those Burton movies are, they don't quite work. And it's fun to talk about movies that, (laughs) but they were really successful and popular, especially that first Batman was huge back when it came out. And just talking about the cultural impact of it all and what I, that logo slapped onto everything and i remember going to the and we'll have to talk about this more but i remember going and seeing that first batman movie in the drive-in with my dad and man i'm not sure it's even a movie i mean they got jack nicholson to they paid him a gazillion dollars to do some shtick and then tim burton kind of filled in some did some tim burtony stuff but on the, the side, music but, and the opening and the yeah it, it in the batmobile it successfully impersonated the bat the movie. wing and yeah, they just the, it had all the cool stuff, man. And then they were like, Tim Burton, you can do whatever you want. And, <laughs> and then he did. <laughs> he, he sure did. <laughs> Batman Returns, one of the most disgustingly off-putting <laughs> big-budget blockbuster summer tent poles ever to be released. So, and pretty amazing as far as Tim Burton movies go, but I'm not sure how great of a Batman movie it is. But I think we'll have to have Ben Solzer on because I think he's a Batman Returns apologist. Um, or at least he would be. We'll make him defend random comments he's made in the past and treat him like a Batman Returns apologist. We're good at that sort of thing. As karma. Now, today though, we have to talk about we we have the privilege rather of talking about Peter Jackson's first Lord of the Rings movie, The Fellowship of the Ring, another yeah. movie that was quite big. And I should say this ties to the bookening, which is having its year of Tolkien, and we're kind of having our own year of Tolkien over on Sandy at the movies because it's all connected, folks. Yeah. And so if you want to hear our thoughts on the books, Lord of the Rings, I'd say we like them. Yeah. They're good. And They're you, pretty great. You can hear us expound at great length on that over at the booking. Yeah, so we just finished up talking through the Fellowship of the Ring. And so today we're talking about the movie. Mm-hmm. And we may have a, if the timing works out, we may have a special guest later today. Oh, on, this, be fun. on this very show yep. to talk about this. Now, Jake, do you bring any baggage? Did you do, what do you, what was your experience with the Lord of the Rings movies? I think you've talked about this in other places. Yeah, I've but. talked about it on, on the booking, but it's worth saying again here briefly. My intro to the world of the Lord of the Rings was through the movies. I didn't even know, I, I remember retroactively that I had one friend who was a Lord of the Rings fan, but I didn't know. I just knew he was into weird elves and mm-hmm. dwarves and stuff. And I would not have been able to call up the name Hobbit, but I knew that. I remember getting him, thinking it was fun to get him in a tiff, trying to explain the differences between elves and dwarves and hobbits um, and making fun of him for it. Anyhow, um, I'm in college and a Return of the Kings about to come out. So this is like late. To me, this sort of fantasy genre is just like, 
for nerds, and I'm too cool for it. Weren't a big Willow head growing up? Or I, I've, I had seen Willow quite a bit, but that... Big Dark Crystal head, maybe? I've Labyrinth. never seen Dark Crystal. I never saw Labyrinth. I guess my point is, there was a reason Jake wasn't a fantasy guy, because fantasy... as It was bad. As it was on film. You, you say what you will about Lord of the Rings. It is a step up from <laughs> <laughs> some of the crap they were making in the immediate... Yeah. Uh, whatever the opposite of aftermath is. Before math. Yeah. Anyway. So, anyhow, I had these friends that were totally geeked about Return of the King and wanted to see it, wanted me to see it with them. I was just like, I don't care. I've not seen the other movies. I have no idea what's going on. They're like, you haven't seen the other movie. I was like, no, I haven't seen the other movies. Don't really care to. It's not a big deal to me. Go have fun at your movie. And they're like, no, you're going to sit down with us. We're going to watch one and two, and then we're going to go tonight to the premiere of three. So that that was my first experience of Lord of the Rings was in knowing anything about it was sitting down with a couple of buddies in a college dorm room and watching. And one of those guys had come up from like, it may have been more than two, but a couple of them had, you know, a couple of them had come up from Evansville. This is the guy who would end up being the best man at my wedding. So, yeah, we watched Fellowship of the Ring. Then we turned around and watched Two Towers. And then we got in our cars and drove to AMC 12 here in Bloomington and watched Return of the King. And we slept away on an epic fantasy ride of... Oh, man, was I ever. And I... I so I, I had come then to... I mean, like... I didn't know anything. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know who was going to live and who was going to die. If anybody was going to live or die, like I didn't know, like I knew nothing. I didn't know when the movie was going to be over because Jackson, when Return of the King was going to be over because Jackson ended it like six different Mm -hmm. times. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But yeah, no, it was a, it was a pretty special magical way to experience it unconventional so even as we talked about on the booking my experience of the books is um you're never gonna unring some of those bells that's right yeah yeah that jackson peter jackson's had a big hand in defining middle earth for me before i ever had a chance i i did go back and read the books eventually a friend of mine gifted me copies of the books uh when we were pregnant with Peter, my firstborn son, said, you can't have a son if you've never read Lord of the Rings. So he gifted me those copies and I read it. Read it out loud to Amanda probably. Nice. So that's my history and back. So I've got some real fondness for the movies. Little nostalgia. Some nostalgia for the movies. And yeah, that's what I bring to them. And then now I've got kids and we're all reading through the Lord of the Rings right now. And the older ones are watching the movies for the first time. Yeah. I, so my baggage, which people will have heard on the booking is I grew up with Lord of the Rings. I considered it to be ubiquitous. I considered it to be in the same category with star Wars. Just one of those things. Everybody knows that Luke is uh, Darth Vader's son. Everybody knows that Sauron is this and Sauron's that it was just like part of the nerdy parlance of my little cloistered christian community so i was pretty familiar with it and and i was also a nerdy fantasy kid so i'd read it i would have read it of my own volition but also everybody had read it and so i knew it i liked it 
And I kind of had a chip on my shoulder about the movies because uh, uh, then as now I was suspicious of things that were popular and that regular people liked. I didn't want to like the movie and I don't remember being blown away by Fellowship of the Ring the first time I saw it, but it kind of grew on me. I mean, it worked. Like I thought I had to acknowledge like this really worked. I don't remember it like blowing my mind or anything like that. I think I bet I like it better now, which is I'm guessing uh, the opposite trajectory of most people. I really ended up liking the Two Towers movie quite a bit, which I know is going to be a controversial take, and we'll talk about that a lot more when we get to two ta- the Two Towers movie. But as I said before, I just love siege movies. I just that's one of my favorite genres. The long build up to the oh, we got to get to the keep, and we got to go there, and now the bad guys are coming, and the fact that that takes like an hour and a half, like to me, that's crack. I love that stuff. Just the the building tension, and then the the release of the tension. I think I would have said that Two Towers was my favorite coming out of that haze, that fog. Right. For the same reasons of just, man, especially when it was all blurring together like that, you couldn't really beat Helms Deep. No, you can't. And once you have to reckon with it being the adaptation of a book and how they did some things to Faramir and the way that they made it all work, it doesn't quite work. but. I think I'm still a Two Towers apologist. I think you're going to find, dear listener, that I'm something of a Jackson Lord of the Rings apologist anyway. Although, I I mean, okay, if you want to be cynical. I've already already watched Two Towers and it did not hold up for me. Yeah, I haven't watched it yet this this time around. I've watched it plenty in the years, the intervening years, but... I, I, so okay, I it's guess we been wanna, a long time since I'd come back to Lord of the Rings. Well, let's let's just talk about it. I, I mean, I guess we both agree that the Fellowship movie basically works. Yeah, there's like we're gonna have more to say about if if we wanted to say like Two Towers just doesn't work or Return of the King, there'd be arguments to be made. But Fellowship, I think everybody in the world agrees it's basically a pretty good adaptation, even if you don't like Peter Jackson. Yeah, it, I, it hits I'm, the beats. I made the state mistake, and I think mistakes to right where this go round of uh, watching the extended version right. instead of the theatrical version with my older kids late after the younger kids had gone in bed. And it was just like, it was too much. I should have gone with the theatrical version, but yeah, I do agree that it just, it works as a movie. And Yeah. The extended really edition, good. he he made a mistake, I think in those extended editions in that he always relied on the fact that you had seen the original. And so there's places in those things where they don't actually work except as extensions or reflections of the cut that he did the first time. The example I would use is all that stuff setting up the Shire goes on and on and mm-hmm. on in the extended. And it, it's like you would never do that in a real movie. The only reason you would do it is because somebody had seen the original in the theater and just wanted more. More time there. But the, but the preferable way, to, I think, to do, do it would be to say here's the coolest version of the movie. So we're still going to get out of the Shire as quickly as possible because who wants to hang out in the Shire? We don't really need to see the old gaffer. Who cares? Let's get out of there. It's good in Tolkien, not criticizing Tolkien, but we've got a story to get going and actually our instinct. Books and movies, very different things. Very different things. I like, I think I'd still stick with the extended just because I like some of the material. I like the action being a little bit more brutal too. It's uh, fun to see those orc heads get lopped off, which you, you miss out on in the, Oh, do you? The original cuts. Maybe actually another that. argument with going with the shorter ones for your kids. kids. Yeah. But for Nathan, it's fun. But let's, I guess let's talk about Fellowship of the Ring. I, 
Where do you even start with this one? I didn't take any notes because I feel like we've been talking about this movie now for since we've been friends and I've been talking about this movie with people since it came out. I feel like it ought to be easy to say everything that I want to say about this movie. But the main thing that is worth talking about in my mind are the places where Jackson actually improves on Tolkien. Right. Well, because he's forced to. And it, it is an argument that is worth having that he improve on Tolkien or not. But let's, I think it would be not to like take the ball out of your hands here, but I think it'd be good to talk about the ways that making a movie adaptation of a fantasy that has pretty flat characters mm-hmm. forces you to make some hard decisions. Well, for, Peter, for good or bad. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly what we need to talk about. Well, let's just, so preliminary. Well, yeah, let's, there's so many different ways in. I think that's as good as any. Um, so, that is the thing, isn't it? And I have more, I actually expected to, as I read the books, begin, like I was, I like these movies. I like all three of them. I even like, I'm even a Hobbit apologist. I like those stupid Hobbit movies. Just, I mean, I know they're trash, but I enjoy them as as guilty pleasures or whatever you want to say. Nathan's kind of trash. They're, they're my kind of trash, which is, I, I, I don't even know how I could defend. I just like spending time in that world. I like the set design. Like Rivendell's just a pretty place to me. I like hanging out in Jackson's Middle Earth, actually. I, I just think it's a, I think it's cool what they did. A lot of it. Some of it's really clunky. But generally speaking, when there's a location, like, oh, I, I'd be happy to live there. That sort of thing. So th- I thought, I was dreading rereading these books because I thought, as we read these books, I will have less and less sympathy for all the places where I kind of know in the back of my head, Jackson did something dumb. That's actually really not been the case because what I actually think is, as I read the books, there's no way to actually adapt this. This is really Mm -hmm. hard. Tolkien actually didn't set you up to make a movie, and nor should he, by the way. He's writing a book, but this is not... And he's writing a book in a time where there was no hope of a movie like this being made. Right. He's not writing cinematically, necessarily. He's long on buildup, he's short on climax, and most deadly to the filmmaker of all... He does not care about characters, actually. I mean, he cares yeah. about his characters are thin. They are more like everybody has a trait. They're, They're almost symbols. like action action figures or something like that. Yeah. Here's Aragorn. He has a sword. He will reveal himself as the one and true king, and he will do that again and again and again in increasingly dire situations. Here's Sam. He is loyal. And he's got some rope. I mean, it's almost like a G.I. Joe or something like that. And he's yeah. gonna be loyal and he's gonna use his his, his rope. His rope. And increasingly, Frodo's got a ring. He's got one goal. He's a good dude. He's gonna... You'd argue that Merry and Pippin change a little bit. They grow up a little bit. Kind of, maybe. Yeah, but the but the characters are just relatively flat. The focus is really on the journey. Yeah, and on the places and on the world building and all the stuff that Tolkien was interested in. And that's fine. None of this is a criticism of Tolkien. It's just a description of what he did. That's the way that he wrote the book. Well, when you come to a movie, if you try to have an actor who's a real person who has facial expressions and a personality play a pretty flat character, the best you're going to come up with is Mark Hamill playing Luke Skywalker, mm-hmm. right? And it's going to be kind of annoying and stupid and inane. Well, the argument there would be, okay, what about Han Solo? He really just has one trait. He's got a blaster and he's a a lovable scoundrel. Yeah, but Tolkien really, I would argue, doesn't even do that. I mean, we've got Aragorn, Aemir, Faramir. These guys are all the same guy, basically. They're noble. Heroes. Theoden, basically. I mean, 
there's some people that start out one way and then quickly become something else, but mm-hmm. there's not much to these characters. And so your decision is to try to leave them flat and maybe to disastrous result or to pick directions and color in some of these characters. If you do that, you've got to make choices and those choices aren't going to come from the book. And so Aragorn gets more self-doubt. Boromir gets more conflict and maybe more underlying nobility. Yeah, Boromir, I think, actually gets becomes a better man, which is the one place where they went that direction instead of the other direction. And it was a good choice. Usually their tactic is, let's fill up this character with a lot of sort of modern, relatable, angsty, Angst. self-doubt. Yeah. Like Aragorn, yeah, Aragorn just, doesn't really want to be king. It's he, the, it's the, it's, it is the easy, cheap, in vogue way of dealing with characters that basically amount to Superman. What do you do with Superman? All Superman is, is a good boy scout, truth, justice in the American way. How do we make him interesting on screen? Uh, let's fill him with angst and self-doubt. Oh, by the way, the person that invented that, Stan Lee, Spider-Man, Peter Parker, is going to be the first superhero who he's a kid and he's Peter Parker and he wants to ask Mary Jane out, but he's too shy. And and that's the genius of Spider-Man. And that's the genius of, of Marvel, basically. Like now what Marvel's doing is very in vogue, but the reason that it's in vogue, the reason that Marvel gets away with it is because Marvel, the comics, created the whole, you know, like Tony Stark's kind of a jerk and he doesn't really know what he's doing and he's not a good father figure, but he has to figure it out. Like they figured... They did that. Yeah, and then so DC comes in and tries to retcon their characters to be Marvel characters. Take and, their god men yeah, and, and make them into relatable humans and with, it, with limited success. Yeah, it doesn't quite work, but that's that's a tactic that has been tried not just in the comic book series, but all over the place. And it was an easy, cheap way to do that with the Superman of this book. Mm-hmm. And Aragorn is, let's give him self-doubt. Let's make him fearful and concerned. Let's make let's play the ring up as a character that as, is a corrupting agent, and then you know let's as as if the ring's a character, then you know everybody's got to be afraid of the power that the ring's going to have to transform them because nobody's actually changing in Tolkien's world. But we need characters to change or have threats of change, either in the direction of redemption or corruption, and so. These are the decisions that Jackson and his team made. Sometimes to pretty annoying ends, like with Faramir, who just becomes this wimp who makes a psychotic character change halfway through Two Towers, dictated by nothing. Right. Like, oh, the plot needs Faramir to be nice now. Yeah. Okay. And we need him to be a jerk, like way jerkier than he was. And Faramir is one of those things that just annoys people because they love the character from the book and... And then he doesn't even make sense right. on screen because he just, he was there for plot, right? Like, I mean, half of what they did with Faramir and the Two Towers, which we'll talk about, is just like, well, the ring's got to be corrupting people. And the timeline here is weird because of how Tolkien wrote this book. And right. we want to save Shelob for the next movie, even though it's in the second book. So we've got to have some kind of thing. We're going to take him to the battle of whatever that battle is but then we need a climax here so we're gonna have frodo send sam away we're gonna make the ring that much more corrupting and Frodo's let's gonna... get more sneering snarling frodo because that's what we want right exactly so their solutions are often dumb just yeah. 
ham-fistedly dumb. And I ham-fisted's I, the word. As as a Jackson somewhat apologist, I will fully admit, like their solutions are stupid a lot of the time. That but, being said, those problems are inherent to the source material, and I understand every one of those was a problem you needed to solve. Like Faramir, for, for screen, Faramir, Let's just keep clarifying yeah, yeah, exactly. because people are going to hear the wrong. No, thing. no, no, no. Books are perfect as books. But, but for screen. And you can say, well, what? Just don't make a movie. Okay. Shut go up. back to the 19th century. <laughs> <laughs> go live in Middle Earth. <laughs> okay. We're going Why to make a- Why are you even listening to this yeah, podcast? Start, starting with the proposition that we are going to make a movie, we have to solve those problems, actually. Yeah. We do. You would want them to be solved. You don't want to see the boring movie- You would hate it. That's if, just a transliteration of the book. You would hate it if they book. didn't try to solve these problems. Yeah. I know you think you wouldn't, but- You're wrong. You're wrong. You don't want to see the TV show where they just spend nine episodes getting out of the Shire. I barely wanted to read about it personally, but... I had a tough time with it. But, I mean, honestly, it's not... It's great. It, it's a great novel. It, it There's things about it that aren't going to translate to cinema. I think we've killed that orc. Yeah. Um, cut off its head. Chopped off its arm. So... Impaled it with a pike. Impaled it with a pike. They had to solve those problems... And their sense of how to solve those problems is, A, I think it's, all right, let me sex stereotype here. It's worth noting that Peter Jackson's, the primary writers of these things are two ladies. Peter Mm -hmm. Jackson's, I think she's his wife now. I think she was his girlfriend or whatever then. And this other lady. And their solutions are very girly often, for lack of a better word, effeminate. You know, it's like, let's just make this character more like a girl let's let's just make them more doubtful and more emotional and let's not let's not see what was cool about the manly solid beefy virtue of an aragorn or a name where an aragorn who's driven by destiny who's on a he is the chosen one he's the king he's coming and he's everywhere he goes he's calling men to his banner and he's gonna come in and he's He's scary enough to scare Sauron, and that they leaned hard away from that. And there are a lot of reasons to really dislike the ways that Jackson leaned away from it. Yeah, I happen to like Viggo Mortensen. I think he's a good actor, and I think he's a pretty manful actor for being as good as looking as he is. So I, I think he actually brings a lot of inherent Aragorn to this Aragorn. I actually, I actually think this Aragorn ultimately works better then the screenplay would have him work because yeah, I think that that's you never true. have any doubt that Viggo Mortensen's going to step up at some point. Like people, this, this people, is a dude. I mean, a lot of people don't, they think what they don't like about uh, the, the movies is Viggo Mortensen. But I, I think that you're right about that. I think it's, I think he rises above the material and brings more kingliness to the material than how it was written. It's a really hard role to cast. And they famously, uh, had another actor. Nick Cage, wasn't it? No, it was... Um, or is that some dumb rumor that I picked up somewhere? No, they did offer Gandalf to Sean Connery. Oh, wow. Who took League of Extraordinary Gentlemen instead. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the story is, he, Sean Connery passed on The Matrix, passed on Lord of the Rings, could not wrap his head around either one, and then they gave him League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and he's like, well, I can't really wrap my head around this either, but I guess it must be brilliant, because these nerds seem to be onto something. I don't want to pass on the next Matrix or Lord of the Rings. And then... Poor Oops. guy. <laughs> and then he retired from the business because he was so disgusted. <laughs> like, I just don't understand it anymore. Anyway, what we're saying, <laughs> what we're talking about, 
Um, Whoever they had cast before Viggo Mortensen. Yeah, they cast actually they cast another guy from League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. If you ever saw that turkey, I did. The guy that played Dorian Gray, his name is Stuart Townsend, and he's a much younger man than Viggo Mortensen and much more of a pretty boy. And I, people really would have the people that don't like this current Aragorn really wouldn't have liked that Aragorn because he would have been yeah. that much more. It would have been more like having Orlando Bloom play yeah, the that's part, what I was like imagining. kind of in that direction. So, well, the reason they did it that way is clear. And I mean, at least clear to me, which is they made a decision. They made their first decision, which was that the ring is a person. Mm -hmm. And the ring is a corrupting influence everywhere it goes. It's going to corrupt Faramir. It's going to corrupt Boromir. It's going to have the potential to corrupt Aragorn. No one's going to be... Above this. No one's going to be above it. It's going to corrupt Frodo. Which is what Tolkien tells you. But then Tolkien's always he like, here's Tom Bombadil. Here's this person. Here's this person that's actually can have it for a while. You never really feel that the ring is, at least not through the two towers, you're not feeling like the ring is weighing on Frodo the way that they make it look like it's weighing on him. It's not tempting people. But Boromir came to the council ready to take that ring to Gondor because that's who Boromir was. In, in Tolkien's world, mm. Boromir, of course, he's going to get that ring. He's going to take it to Gondor. It has nothing to do with the ring and everything to do with this is just the kind of arrogant Gondor first. I'm going to be the hero. I'm going to get the glory. We can handle anything Right, kind of person that, I mean, that's how Tolkien wrote him. But they're not their first decision. I think you're right, absolutely right. Is and 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 I get it by the way. And I, I think it might be my decision too. I don't know that I do it in all the dumb ways. I hope that they did it. The application of the decision is one thing, but the decision itself to make the ring an agent, an agent of corruption, a character that's at the center of these movies. Well, it's like this is our MacGuffin. Let's make right. it as important as like every scene should be about the fact that this MacGuffin is important and that like we need this plot to be driving forward. And I think that's the other thing you have to understand is fantasy is so stupid. Like Tolkien can just conjure a world of words. You start to make that literal. You start to give us people with pointy ears. You start to give us CGI beasties and stuff. That's, there has to be a certain forward momentum or it all falls to pieces. Mm -hmm. It's either going to work or it's going to be, embarrassing those are really the two options you know i mean we've all seen like you know your, your battlefield earth with with john travolta your when a sci-fi movie or a fantasy movie doesn't work it's it embarrassing really doesn't because work. it's suddenly and a bunch of people st standing around in dumb costumes saying dumb things in that, a dumb way in a dumb way while dumb looking creatures are around them so their solution is we need to give this forward and I think it's very smart, actually. This has to have forward momentum. It can't stop to breathe because of the minute it stops, it dies. It's like a shark. Like this plot has to keep drawing you in and telling you how important everything is or you're going to laugh and at look, it. Look, if they hadn't done that, they would have lost me. I needed bigger reasons to buy into this. I just had too many fantasy hurdles. Mm -hmm. I had I had to feel that this had a plot, a story, good and evil and bigger things that I could connect with and that were going to keep moving me forward or it was, I was never going to find my way in. Mm -hmm. And if they, so if they had just made this for fantasy nerds and let it run the risk of being embarrassing, 
I would have said, sorry, guys. No. And so they do everything. They front load it. They're like, let's start with a spectacular, for the time, spectacular battle scene with bodies flying through the air and this big monster guy. Like, let's let's just do the James Bond trick of like starting with the most spectacular thing you've ever seen mm-hmm. and drawing people in. And then we'll have Kate Blanchett, Jet, you know, narrating and telling, you know, but the hearts of men are easily corrupted and all this kind of <laughs> yeah. stuff. Like we're going to lay it on as quick and as powerfully. We're going to spend a whole bunch of money up front to try and hook you. And then we're going to get out of the Shire as quick as possible. And we're going to have Gandalf. We're going to get into the Shire and make you feel that sense of the world is innocent and bright and sweet. And then we're back out of it. And yeah, we're, we're on a, quest into darkness we're gonna condense everything like it's years of gandalf figuring things out and hey i submit to you if they just took tolkien to the screen especially if we see any of the effects of the ring visually gandalf's gonna start to look like an idiot for not immediately figuring it out it stretches credulity in both the book and the movie i think actually you have to buy that just nobody knows about this thing i guess that's the conceit is that the lore of the ring has actually been lost but then it doesn't really sound like it's been lost when you, Not among the people that know. Among the people that know, and then they. And why isn't Gandalf? I mean, Gandalf is one of the people that know. You would, yeah, he is. Elrond, and this the movie version was actually alive for all that stuff. So you'd think right. he'd he and his dudes would have their eyes pretty well open. And Gladriel was there. And glad, yeah. So anyway. They're rushing all that. You're not supposed to think about stuff like that, and you don't because they. And I want to pay credit to them while doing that. They make Lord of the Rings nerds feel really good by giving you a fun, over-the-top Bilbo in Ian Holm, by giving you a really pretty bucolic Shire, by, you know, they actually hit all the things that a Lord of the Rings fanatic would remember, the party scene, the speech, yeah, the smattering of applause, Mr. Proudfoot, all that stuff. They managed to stuff that all in, even in the non-extended version, but they move through it really quickly fireworks keep that plot chugging mm-hmm. pull out all the best lines pull out all the best lines and then they get that story going as quickly as possible and it's still pretty clunky like i'd say everything to the council of elrond just barely works yeah like and i think that that's buckleberry fairy buckleberry fairy run in slow motion <laughs> behind the incredibly well lit <laughs> dark forest yeah <laughs> i mean there's even things like my wife, I've actually had this experience with multiple people who haven't read the books. They don't realize that Sam is his servant. Somehow they forgot to ever. Yeah. Like he called Meredith's like, why is he calling him Mr. Frodo? I thought they were friends, which if you think about it from the point of view of someone who's just watching the movie, that actually makes perfect sense. I, I, I honestly have view because my, everything's shaped by the movies and my understanding of the movies. I have a hard time remembering even as i read the books that sam is frodo's servant everybody treats him that way everybody says that you know faramir is like your servant whatever and like my mind wants to say man why doesn't frodo correct him yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know like that's just the way that i've so but, deeply processed sam and frodo are the sam and frodo of the movies they're not me too even to the point where there's like some place where frodo calls him boy or something I right mean, yeah and you're like what yeah. But it actually makes sense if all you had was the book. Yeah, because he's the gardener. Right. But when he's Rudy slash whatever the Goonies name is, what is that Goonies? Mike. Mikey. Mikey. Sean Astin. Sean Astin. It doesn't really feel that way. 
And when those other goofballs are such goofballs that it's like our time down here. <laughs> Just saw that for the first time, folks. Actually, for the first time. Yeah, never saw it before. Finally caught up with it all these years later. Wow. Can't really show it to kids. I really want to watch it, and I really want to watch it with my kids. But I, I haven't seen it in a long time, and I know that I can't. Yeah, you can't. I can confirm. There's just a lot of uh, potty humor, shall we say? Yeah. Goonies. You saw it for the first time. I thought, yeah. So there you go. It was fun. Don't watch it with kids. Yeah. Mm, it's too bad. Yep. Too bad. But it was kind of fun to catch up with an Amblin entertainment that I had never Man, seen. Man, I've been wanting to watch it. My whole marriage, maybe even before I wanted to watch it, and Amanda's just like, I don't like that movie. And so we never watch it. She yeah, has some right. memory, visceral childhood memory of watching it and not liking it. And it's got some. So I just haven't seen it in a long see time. See how a kid could take it the wrong way. It's got some scary stuff and some yeah. gross stuff. And I can still quote it left and right. Anyway, speaking of movies, we can quote left and right. Lord of the Rings, I bet we could quote a good bit of that. And that's what we're talking about. Uh, <laughs> great, great transition. What a great back. transition. Good job. So. Uh, so I guess we've just been making the point at length that we somewhat sympathize with all the problems that they had. They solved a lot of them in the dumbest way, but this movie has the least I, detritus and the most yeah, benefits. I think I think all we've really been trying to do is create a little bit of sympathy and space for the fact that there, there were things they were going to have to do and change in order to make these movies. Well, and, the other thing that I think is important to note is Watching this movie again, I was just reminded that there's so many places where you can see the stitches. Watching it now, I was very aware of when they were using little people and some of the special effects, some of the CGI doesn't hold up as well. It was just places where, or, or where I was even aware of things. And I wouldn't think that most people would, that don't pay attention to these things for a podcast would be aware of this. But I was aware of where the cutting was dictated by the size difference and stuff like that. Yeah. There's a lot of places where, a, they're really trying hard to pull something off and they're throwing their, putting their best foot forward and hoping it'll work. And it does just by the skin of its teeth. And this was kind of a game changer. It's hard to forget, like, or it's, it's hard to forget. It's hard to remember now, but this is really the template for your infinity wars and your big CGI well, you, spectacle movies. You, it's hard to look back and really appreciate all the steps forward that people take to get you what you love today. And, you know, we've talked about this before with Star Wars prequels and how innovative technologically mm -hmm. they were and how they paved the way. Like Lucas just used all the cachet of Star Wars to create an advanced technology. But if a movie like Star Wars or Birth of a Nation way back, or if things like that synthesize everything that's come before, I would say the prequels actually represent a fun alternate world or a place that we haven't quite got to yet. Because what George Lucas was trying to do, especially with those later prequels, is make an all CGI movie. Yeah. And what's actually happened is people have followed the template of Peter Jackson, which is how can we take all the tools that we're at, that we're at our disposal live action, CGI, location shooting. Puppets, puppets, costumes, makeup. And just put it all together in the most appealing right. package. And that's actually what the later Star Wars sequels have been. That's what the Marvel movies have been. Right. That's yeah, but I guess all I was saying is that, yeah, that, that is the genius of what, what these movies do. But, you know, you can look back, you can see the problems, you can see the stitches, 
And that's going to be true of every yes, time somebody yes, does yes, I'm sorry, like I stepped that. on that. That's very true, yeah. And so people look back and think, well, man, isn't the CGI and uh, the Star Wars, Star Wars prequels stupid? Right. Nobody had ever seen anything like that before. He invented it. He created it. Yeah. And we, that is what has given you everything that has now enabled you to look down on it. I, I went and, and saw a little bouncy rubber Yoda, rubber CGI Yoda fighting Count Dooku two or three times because I was a nerd and it was so cool. Yeah. And it doesn't hold up at all, but I mean, it kind of holds up actually. I still it like it. It kind of holds up. But, but but the fact is that paved the way and that bought you the things that you think are cool today and might think are stupid tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings did something really smart, which is what you were driving at. Yeah. Which is it through the kitchen sink at trying to make this thing and work and it, feel alive and real. And so many of the choices, like it almost feels when you start to actually look at it, which I was this time, when you realize how close it came to not working at all, like how dumb it is. They're using these little people for the, for the shots where you don't see their faces. And then we're cutting to like trick shots. And then we're cutting to some not particularly convincing CGI, putting two characters together. Like, Hey, it's our special guest star walking in. Come on in. Brennan, you showed up for the episode. Brennan didn't know he was going to be on this episode, but we are doing Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, yeah. Sanity at the Movies. Oh, hey. It's Brennan from The Bookening. And he is sunburnt. And he is sunburnt. I am. I mowed the yard last week, and this is what I'll look like the rest of the summer, ruddy and sunburned. Ruddy? My skin doesn't tan. I just turn red, like a lobster. Yep. I get ready, too. and Yeah. So you understand. Yeah, and if you want to kill Brandon, you like have to that, put him in boiling well, this water. This is sunburn; and... it'll it'll turn like a brown red. Yeah, but I get I get reddish, very yep. reddish, and stay reddish. Yeah, people often think that I've gotten a lot of sun when I haven't, yeah. or I'm sunburned and I'm not. Tanning beds, or that I've been to the tanning bed, which is a really fun. <laughs> been to the tanning bed. <laughs> That's a, yeah, because everybody can see the air quotes. The air quotes. Uh, yeah. Jake, you should fill Brandon in on what we've said about the movie Fellowship of the Rings so far. Well, which has not been that much, actually. It, it, well, what we've done is we've spent a lot of time talking about the difficulty of not just adapting books to movies, but adapting Tolkien fantasy, Lord of the Rings in particular, uh, for film. And so we spent a lot of time just talking about so much of fantasy is about living in the world, but in a movie, you can't really just live in the world. You've got to drive forward and you have to have Mm -hmm. the plot and the story move. So you can't just sit in the Hobbit for years. Yeah. Or not the Hobbit. In the Shire. The Shire. You can't just sit in the Shire for years. You've got to get out of the Shire quickly. Tolkien's characters are very one dimensional. They have, you know. A thing. A thing about them. Sam's thing is loyalty. Aragorn's thing is he's, you know. King. The king. king. And, but once you have an actor who has a face and facial expressions and body language and a personality, you have to start to make decisions to color about how you're going to try to color in or if you're going to try to color in this character because he can't just be flat and one-dimensional on screen the way that he is in a book. And so you have to make decisions about m- more of what's going on inside of a character. You have to go take a step towards psychological realism or take a step towards camp, but you have to make decisions. Mm-hmm. And so we've just been making space for the fact that they had to make decisions and you may not like the decisions they made. And in fact, we don't by and large, many of them, but. Some of them were good. Mm-hmm. 
lots and lots of them were bad, but you need to have sympathy for the fact that they had to make decisions yeah. in the first place. And so then we've all, we also talked about the one big decision that they made from the outset was that the ring is a character. The ring's not just the, or the ring as MacGuffin is a, a, a character or a force, a corrupting influence. And that shapes many of the decisions that they make, whether they're making those decisions about Faramir or about Frodo suddenly being a sneering, yeah. you know, madman out of a horror movie or even Aragorn's sort of like self-doubt and things like that. A lot of it is just how are they going to respond to the corrupting influence of the ring? And so, I mean, that's even the rationale of what we were talking about before about Faramir's one way and now he's another way. Well, the ring, the ring, it was the ring, you know, when Faramir was close to the ring, you know, it was corrupting him. But now that the ring's away, he's, he's back mm -hmm. to his good he's old good. self. He's, yeah. good, he's a good guy again. Right. You know, so that was my very brief rundown of where we were. And okay. Yeah. So your, your thoughts, <laughs> my thoughts on all that, huh? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think the biggest place you see this is with the way he depicts the elves. Mm -hmm. And we, we talked about this already on the bookening. Yeah, but we haven't but, talked about it here yet. So. so. Yeah, the elves, he doesn't know how to, so he can deal with things like the ring. He can present ultimate evil pretty well. The Nazgul are scary. The ring race, he deals with those fairly well in this movie. I think of all the movies, this one is the most successful mm -hmm. and probably because it doesn't deal with a lot of the ramifications of what he's doing. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about it in the terms of the ring being a character, but yeah, it would make sense then that movie two, which is really hard to adapt anyways. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We'll talk more about that. And then uh, movie three would really deal with the results of having done that to Aragorn and those characters. But in this movie, especially you see it through the elves. He does have, he has no clue how to handle Peter Jackson has no clue how to handle beings that are supposed to be ultimately good. Mm -hmm. And not just, I mean, so I think the way he goes, the direction of thinking that since elves are other, that means that they're like pre-fall creatures. Mm -hmm. Yeah, angelic and, creatures. And he never, Tolkien doesn't set them up that way. Elves are able to be corrupted. Elves are... Well, orcs are corrupted elves, yeah. for goodness sake. And so I, what I loved about the books, reading through them this time, is seeing how the elves are like the old noble medieval lords is basically, mm -hmm. basically what they're like in the books. And he completely misses out on that by making them this Aryan beautiful angelic race that has mm -hmm. no depth of character but they sure do glow they do glow they do glow yeah the closest he gets is with legolas but even legolas is pretty annoying well, legolas has to be something because he has to be part of the fellowship yeah and you also see that they he, peter jackson assumes that a pure masculinity that's free from everything that would make it evil with like legolas looks like effeminacy mm -hmm. right so Legolas is just this effeminate girl that shoots a bow. Right. The more angelic you are, the more girly you are, yeah. basically. Which is... Uh, false. Yeah, it's false. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Nathan. <laughs> and something that Nathan pointed out earlier might have something to do with the fact that all the screenwriters, or the two principal screenwriters, were actually women. The women, yeah, the people yeah. that shaped the dialogue and the character. What I get the impression, and folks, I've watched the documentaries, you know, you remember those big sets that they came out with? Oh, yeah. I've seen it all. The impression I get is Peter Jackson's a wonderful technician and, and that's what he enjoys and he just had a lot of fun with the battles and it's not that he's a hack or doesn't care about the characterization, but I get the sense that he really trusts his 
his wife, this other lady with like, you guys know emotion. You're, you're, you're going to get these emotional things down. You're going to make sure that it has the romance because that's not my thing. I'll be over here coming up with ways to behead orcs. And boy, does he come up with them. <laughs> and he comes up with them. And, yeah. you know, he obviously, if, if he put that much imagination into, say, the romance between yeah. um, Arwen and Aragorn or the, you know, into actually depicting Galadriel as something besides some a weird slow motion psychopath. Yeah. We might really have something. Yeah, you see it most with Galadriel, where she turns green and blue. But then is it blue? You know, it's been a while since I've seen the movie. Isn't it blue? Yeah, it is. When she love me and despair. Yeah, Yeah, she turns blue. She looks like a creature from Casper the Friendly Ghost. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, that moment is so dumb. It's awful. Yeah. What I also see is filmmakers who, I I think this is. The weird thing is the Hobbit movies are much better made, even though the screenplays are much stupider in their way. What you see is someone who's desperately trying to do something that's not in vogue with fantasy doesn't know whether it's going to work. And so like when Jake says Hmm. we have to make the ring into a character, one of the reasons I think that they played so strongly into that is they're just like, we don't know if people are going to take this seriously. We don't know if they're going to buy this. We have to. We're not confident about this. In fact, we're pretty insecure about it. So we're going to try and do everything we can to tell you the ring is the ultimate evil. Yeah. We don't know if this is going to play. And I see some of that with the elves, some of that with the thinner characterizations. Like, we're actually kind of insecure about this material. And so we're going to try and, like, we don't know how to make Galadriel work. How do you do Galadriel? How do you make that? How do you communicate that to a cinema-going audience while they eat their popcorn? Well slow motion i guess and that's in, yeah that's interesting because the things that work well in this movie are the things that are more accessible mm-hmm. outside of fantasy so the shire is done that's probably the best thing he gets the shire yeah he gets it the shire is really well done yeah i would say the opening and the close are the yeah I the mean, close and, to this and movie really if you nail the opening and you nail the close that's half the battle with the movie anyway right yeah well there's a famous director who said a good movie is an opening and a close and three good scenes or something like that. Everything mm. else can be crap. And I think that there's, this movie kind of actually proves that it principle. It proves it because Weathertop yeah. is great. Mm-hmm. Even though I don't really like how they imagine the Balrog, Gandalf's fall and Kaza Doom is really good. Mm-hmm. That's just because Ian McKellen's performance is amazing. Hopefully you guys haven't said otherwise. No, no, no. Okay. No. <laughs> yeah. I'm waiting for you to <laughs> pray. I'm waiting for you to do that. Yeah. I won't tell you with anything. All right. Yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah, but, <laughs> and then the ending is, is yeah, with Boromir's death and then Sam, the way they handle Sam going with Frodo is really good. Mm-hmm. It's well done. Yep. And um, even the last scene, you know, I can think about that last scene in the human will and that still kind of makes me teary-eyed with them. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you're here with me, Sam. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I love that stuff. I, I think the ending to this movie is great. It's a, it's a tearjerker. Uh, Sean, what's his name? Aston. Uh, Sean Aston. Not, well, she's Sean Aston, but then before him... Uh, What's the name of the guy? Sean Bean. Sean Bean, yeah. He's his oh. He's yeah. He's just effortlessly good at playing a very noble, knightly kind of a character who is very easily corrupted. Like he brings shades to Boromir that aren't in the book. For uh, the better. For the yeah. better. And it's then almost, the screenplay brings it. It's almost actually. like it's a Shakespearean actor. Yeah. <laughs> almost. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he gets a lot. It's just a great death scene. Those arrows thudding into him. It is. And he, he gets back up. You know, Peter Jackson's never going to do anything subtle when he can. Let's have 
Boromir get up five times and kill three more orcs and yep. get hit with more arrows. <laughs> it worked the first time. <laughs> oh, put it in slow motion. <laughs> yeah, that, that's interesting. I think that part of that is because our modern age, we want to see what happens to characters and we want more depth. I also wonder if that's not part because cinema is so tied to theater. Mm-hmm. Because Aristotle in the Poetics says that all theater really deals with his actions. Mm-hmm. And so even tragedy is a series of actions with, with consequences of a certain type. And so I've even heard in, certain playwrights and people that I very much respect say, get it, get it out of your head that there's such a thing as character. There's no such thing as character. There's only actions. Yeah. And well, if so you, well, if you pay attention to Shakespeare, well, Shakespeare I mean, would be the premier example of someone who doesn't seem to care that much about, about character. this sort of psychologically complex character. He just, yeah. here's the next thing that this guy did. And it was the most entertaining and interesting yeah. thing that he could have done. And yet, so like Romeo and Juliet, I, I hope one day on the book and we talk about that because it's actually, it's a tragedy in the sense that it's about Juliet and Romeo's the villain. Mm-hmm. And I'm convinced of that. And it's really fun to, uh, when you observe the actions, but when, and so trying to, let students into that secret is you is you have to train them how to watch these things mm-hmm. so but in the sense of the movie the lord of the rings boromir you want to see the consequences of what he's done right and you want to see is it going to play out well because he did this or is it going to play out poorly and he gets some redemption but tolkien's not thinking of it cinematically or theatrically like that he's thinking of it as a, a novel as a story and so the same things don't happen right so well, i'm not convinced that tolkien cares that much about Boromir actually yeah. like these guys made something out of Boromir yeah. a very sympathetic and Boromir kind of dies off screen with yeah. Tolkien Boromir is just another dude that he's part of the fellowship he doesn't really get to do like what does he even do in the book he doesn't he helps carry the hobbits down from uh from the pass of Caradhras which I in our booking episode got wrong oh is that the thing that you were proud of getting right yeah oh, oh. I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> Neither of us looked it up or <laughs> confirmed. I call it Sirith Ungol, which is like the the Oh that's the stairs. Oh, the stairs the where lead to, lead to Shelob. Yeah. Yeah. From you Morgul. know, Jake, I'm not sure if that episode's come out. I might still be able to catch that in the editing. I hope so. You said that you would. I said that I would, but no, then no, no. I completely forgot. So but now that um, it's part of this episode. <laughs> maybe now, I should, now people know. Maybe I should intentionally leave it in. I don't know. No. No. Yeah, so I they actually take some of Tolkien's dialogue for Boromir in the final scene, and they move it to that great scene, I think, where Frodo loses the ring. Which, by the way, as my wife pointed out, Frodo in the movie has the worst ring chain for being a guy who is carrying the most <laughs> valuable and destructive weapon. Maybe it's made out of... Uh... <laughs> He's got a ring chain that breaks off. All the time. Maybe it's made out of mithril. <laughs> oh, it breaks all the time? Like it comes off oh, and okay. ends up places and get a better ring chain dude yeah come on fred don't just go together go to jc penny or wherever you went (laughs) coles yeah Yeah. but he slides down the mountain and when they're in the snow and the ring is glimmering there and uh, boromir picks it up and says you got me wondering like where would these department stores where would they be like coles coles you know where I bet he went? He went to TJ Maxx. That probably, probably. would be a oh, yeah. place. Yeah, yeah. Rural, like, rural King would definitely be in Hobbiton. Yeah, or maybe Rohan. They got their horses and their agriculture. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what so, kind of stores do they have in Rivendell? Oh man, who knows? Probably we don't even shop there. Yeah, Tiffany's. You think Tiffany's would be in Rivendell? Yeah, maybe. What's that one? Um, that was really popular. Archaeology or something. Such like a that. small thing. 
Such a little thing. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's great. I like that scene. It's Jake hitting us back on and track. Then, yeah, he did. He did a good job. And then you see Aragorn had his hand on his sword. I like that moment. Yeah. That was yeah. a cool moment. Even where Aragorn decides not to, he does it, he decides to let Frodo go. That's a good change. I really yeah. like that. And that's kind of in the movie or in the book in that I think in Two Towers, Legolas and Gimli are like, are we going to go see Frodo? And Aragorn's like, eh, I've thought it over and no. But nope. we got to go take care of the hobbits and- but I, yeah. I think anywhere you can in a movie, make something visual and make it striking yeah. and make it dramatic. There's not, there's no rule that says it has to be as subtle as the book. And so having him walk up to Frodo and close the hand with the ring and kind of kneel down, followed you, and then get up and kind of bless his sword as he runs into yeah. four thousand bad guys. That's cool. I like that. It gives me chills. Yeah, that's good. What's um, the line he says? I would have followed you. I would have followed you. To, to something. the end of the To the very... I would, have fo- I would have followed you to the very end? To the ends of the... To the very end, maybe. To the very Into end. Into the very fires of Mordor. Into the very fires of Mordor. Yeah, something like that, yeah. yeah. It's good. It's a good line. Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. it's good. <laughs> very <laughs> memorable. Very memorable, yeah. <laughs> well, the point I was making as Brandon just came in was so much of this movie is them just like propping things up and taping them together and using duct tape to just barely make it work. And I think when you think about it that way, you begin to even have more sympathy for some of the dumb decisions they made because it's like, they're just trying to figure out, can we do the size difference thing half the time? And again, you could argue, okay, maybe don't do it. If the technology is not there where you can just really concentrate on the screenplay, then maybe don't do it. But I mean, at some point, somebody's got to make the decision to say, we are going to make the technology Right. We have to get, we have to, if it's going to happen, somebody's going to have to get the te- technology there. And so we're going to get the technology there, which is, again, not to bring everything back to Star Wars, but part of what is so underrated and admirable about George Lucas mm-hmm. is he, he would spend all his capital on making the technology to do a thing that people would laugh at and think was stupid. Mm-hmm. Well, and that is this Lord of the Rings. I mean, that Balrog, like, they didn't know to the very moment if they were going to be able to figure out CGI fire. This is taking us back into the early days of CGI enough that to have a creature wreathed in fire, like they were like, oh no, this isn't going to work. So really, you can criticize the Balrog. It's not actually one of the more, it's a successful scene because it just, it's such a compelling scene in and of itself, but it's not one of the better special effects in the movie, I don't think. But it was the absolute best they could possibly get done Hmm. at the time i think when you start to get into like return of the king okay they'd made a billion dollars they had the money maybe it was time to say hey guys we're doing the most successful thing ever can we have a few more drafts on the screenplay or bring in some more people or but they didn't fire my wife (laughs) (laughs) but i don't know what what do you guys think about the casting of the movie overall Sam is perfect. Mm-hmm. Gimli is great. Yep. Gandalf is great. Gimli at the book Gimli, but he's just fine as the, the cartoon that they wanted. Yeah, I think he works. Yeah. Gandalf's great. Very dangerous. Yeah. Gandalf's great. So I'd say Gandalf, Sam, Gimli are clear wins. I think Aragorn did a great job. With crummy material. With crummy material. Yeah. I like... The Hobbits. I think I like Pippin better than Mary in terms of casting. 
I think probably I think most of the most of the stuff is home runs. Elijah Wood is an interesting question because yeah, it, you could criticize him, but I'm not sure what else you would do. Right, like who else you would choose? Yeah, you could well, go any who, number of well, directions. Who would have done? Casting that kind of everyman character is so difficult. Yeah. I mean, they cast uh, Sam or uh, Sam Freeman. For who? Is that his name? What's his name? For what for character? Bil- for young Bilbo. For Bilbo. Yeah. Oh, Martin Freeman. Martin, yeah. Martin Freeman. Thanks. Martin Freeman might have been a good casting choice for, for the, Frodo. More, more of the books Frodo. Yeah. yeah. More of a older kind of slightly more competent, less dewy-eyed yeah. person. Such a youth. Yeah. But yeah, I think the casting. Ian Holmes' as Bilbo is good. Yeah, yeah, he's great. Well, what I love. If you're going to get critical of the casting, the place to get critical might be Legolas and Mr. Smith. Yeah. Mr. Smith was bad because it was just within the window of a couple of years after The Matrix. And so when he walked out and said, the line, welcome to Rivendell, was was his first line. I remember our theater roared. Like. (laughs) Hey, it's Agent Smith. Uh, I mean, and he's in elf ears. And he's got elf ears. What a dork! Yeah. <laughs> you stop by the Halloween store on the way here. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's what I remember thinking the first time I watched it. it was just oh, it's Agent Smith. Right. Okay. And Hugo Weaving has enough innate dignity that he doesn't care. Like he's not trying to differentiate it from Agent Smith <laughs> at all. He's just right. doing his yeah. welcome to Rivendell, Mister Beckins. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to pass over the profound slam dunk that was Ian McKellen. I mean, that it's so obvious that you don't yeah. even st- want to stop to talk about it. But no, he's man, just, what a great that was an amazing choice. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it just so happens that a whole seven book children's fantasy was written and designed around Ian McKellen's Gandalf being one of the heroes. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, and and they had two chances to cast the right hand. (laughs) (laughs) Not Ian McKellen to play Ian McKellen's Gandalf as Dumbledore. Yep. And they kind of struck out. I like the second option a little better. The first option was just too much of a twinkly eyed Santa Claus. Also just an obvious attempt to do a cotton candy version of Gandalf. Well, they, they offered it to McKellen and McKellen had the good sense to be like, come on guys, why are you, Wasting my time. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's not enough money in the world, guys. Come on. That would be a fun crossover universe, though. <laughs> Just, <laughs> it's what happens to Gandalf. He doesn't get on that boat after all. <laughs> well, I think people also do assume that that is Ian McKellen, and he's doing a fair amount to what I remember reading or seeing is that Ian McKellen actually found um, recordings of, C- of C.S. Lewis, of J.R. Tolkien, and he's doing a, a Tolkien voice. And really? I think you can... You're just that sort of stuffy. Um, I mean, I can't do it, but I think the dialogue sounds so good coming out of that voice. Tolkien kind of writes every character with that slightly twee, slightly sarcastic British professor kind of vibe. Aragorn talks like that. They all talk like that. Yeah. The movie differentiates them a little bit more, <laughs> but <laughs> but I'm thinking Mc- of them all in tweed jackets. And- <laughs> Uh, that's fun. Thank you, Nathan. You're welcome. What's wrong with that sort of? <laughs> There's nothing wrong yeah. with it. I'm I'm glad that that's what the novel does. I th- Tolkien has a wonderful voice. I think Tolkien gets away with that. Some of the fact that he doesn't differentiate his characters because you just like hearing 
Tolkien have conversations with Tolkien. Yeah. And then a third Tolkien comes along and talks to the two other Tolkien. Even the ends are just Tolkien on like, what was that really slow record? Oh yeah. Just like a putting on that. Yeah. Forget what it's called. Me too. Yeah. You know what I'm talking slow about. Play, Everybody yeah. knows what I'm talking yeah. about. Yep. 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 So I don't know what else is there to say about Lord of the Rings, the fellowship of the ring movie. Well, they, we talked about they improved Boromir. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. They also improved the closing scene with Sam and Frodo. Yeah. And I, Nia and I just love Sam running into the water and I'm going alone, Sam. <laughs> of course you are, Mr. Frodo. And I'm coming with you. But yeah. just, by the way, both of those lines exist in Tolkien, but they just had the good sense to pull them together, smoosh them together and make a, a joke out of it. Yeah they, so, yeah. yeah, they were good at that. They also had um, Gandalf's speech be in Moria. Moria yeah, yeah, that which is a good move. Killer, good move. Like, yeah. and that makes so that makes a lot of that's also solving a cinematic problem, which is you don't want to spend a lot of time doing an exposition dump in the middle of Act One. Yeah, like you want to get that shadows of the past down as much as possible, and so you take the most emotional part of it actually and move it somewhere where it's where you need the emotion yeah, yeah. and i miss it in the book like when when gandalf burns it so early in the shadows of the past chapter i'm like gandalf save this for the mines come on dude so those are the good things about the movie we haven't actually said that much about what doesn't work about the movie have we uh maybe have, we should have, we, have you guys not? i don't know i can get us going with a weird one sure uh, something that I had never thought of before, but I so we're now in the middle of the two towers. I didn't realize that trolls were corrupted orcs or corrupted ints. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't realize that either. And so it's suggested in the uh, in that book that they are. And so I, I know that I think that the acceptance of like nerd culture wasn't around at that time. It was that was kind of spiked or sparked by the Marvel movies, which were. What, still a few years out from there? Yeah, about six years. But you do kind of wish that, like you said, they needed a better screenwriter. They also needed someone who was like just immersed in the Tolkien universe to help them get the small details right. That mm-hmm. it would have been nice to not just have your standard troll, but to actually have like a Tolkien troll. Mm-hmm. And so oh, uh, that kind of disappoints me to have those misses. So. But they they paved the way. I mean, they were for me the first crossover. It was the first time I entered the world of fantasy, and yeah, they provided the gateway for what was going. They were to, the gateway drug yeah. for me for sure. Yeah, I, that was pre Star Wars, pre anything that I thought. I mean, for me, I just, yeah. Marvel comic book stuff. I didn't even pay attention to the Sam Raimi Spider Man stuff. Yeah, I had some Batman Superman nostalgia from my very young childhood. That's about it. Okay. I had a thought that I think was worth saying, but I got... Was it about what they did wrong or before that? I think it must have been about what they did wrong, but something you said just as you were starting out. The ants are corrupted. He's got a weird thought. Yeah. It was weird. (laughs) It'll probably come to me in a minute once we get started on something else. Well, I think we've already talked about the one biggest disappointment is the elves. Yeah, the elves are bad he doesn't know how to do that whole Um, galadriel session did you think of it yeah i just think that it's worth noting that no matter your feelings about tom bombadil not having tom bombadil in this movie was 100 percent the right decision oh absolutely i think everything they cut from the first act everything they cut to rivendell barrow whites the barrow whites are awesome 
and you know I love the creepy stuff, but yeah, I'm even going to say Barrow Whites because it is in the movie, folks, not in the book, but in the confines of this movie, you just you want that get chase to, to get going yeah. and you want yeah. the mission. Well, in the book, when you, I felt honestly reading the book to my kids, I just wanted the chase to get going and get us to Rivendell. I mean, I wouldn't even mind if Jackson had taken the Barrow Whites and put them at the entrance to Mordor or like you almost get that. Jackson almost kind of does that with the dead marshes where he has the, the corpsey people yeah. trying to yeah. grab Frodo and drag him under. But yeah, the Barrow Whites, as cool as they are, they would have gotten in the way here. It has to be about the ring wraiths coming for them. Yeah, it's not the it's not the right movie for that. If you want that sort of thing, you need what are those that uh, Murakami Japanese um, Studio Ghibli that sort of oh, yeah, yeah. animation like Howl's Moving Castle. Oh yeah, where it's just one weird scene after another, and it's you're really not expected to follow a plot. Mm-hmm. A cartoon like that could easily adapt those and do just fine, but that's not what this was. I will say, this is a weird personal criticism that probably no one cares about, but the ring wraiths were the thing that the number one thing that didn't match my imagination when going into the movie. Really? Because I just, I just imagine, always imagined them as being so spectral and creepy. Mm. And in the movie, they're very, they're very earthbound in a weird way. They've got that clanking armor. It's the armor as much as anything that turns me off. I want huh. them to be kind of more. Dementory. Yeah. The the Dementors in Harry Potter 3 are awesome, actually. They do that perfectly. I don't give Rowling any points for so nakedly ripping, ripping it. Off. You mean Harry Potter ring wraiths? <laughs> <laughs> but the way that the Dementor ring wraiths uh, work in the Potter movies is actually pretty cool. Oh, well. I can see that, but they still have a threat to them. Like, yeah, they're, they're, Weathertop is really cool. Yeah, they're a, they're a good villain. Yeah. I don't personally mind Aragorn that much in this movie. Maybe he gets lamer. I think he does get lamer. In... Yeah, I don't think I mind Aragorn all that much in this movie. I think you're right. I think it's, well, the big issue is where he says, you bow for no man or whatever. There's that. There's some really dumb romance, as I recall, with Arwen in the second one that's just like yeah. slows the thing down. And Aowen. And Aowen. But that... Um, yeah, when in the book, it's just he kind of gets a troubled look, and that's about all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just because he's worried about, oh, no, my kingly charisma has failed yet another. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Eowyn's nothing in the book, but I guess we'll talk about that when we get to it on yeah. the bookening and probably the... Uh, what do you guys think about Arwen in the movie? Guessing I'm not going to hear a round of applause here. It's the greatest thing. I'm so glad they chose Steven Tyler's daughter. A ranger caught off his guard. (laughs) That's where you see elements of they're not quite bold enough to take the step to what will become Kate Elf. (laughs) They tried. They tried. They she was going to fight at Helm's Deep, and the internet saw some behind the scenes footage of Liv Tyler at Helm's Deep, and the nerds. Lost their minds. They really? were not. They did not want Arwen at Helm's Deep, well, and they protested. She's Arwen Why did they want the elves there in the first place? I don't know that they. They probably didn't. And knew I was, that the elves were going to be there. That's something I had forgotten that the elves don't show up in the books. Yeah, that was the whole thing that they just invented for the. Yeah. To show peace among nations. Yeah. Well. This, these times, these desperate times, draw us all together. Yeah, I think we've made a lot of space. elves and men 
die side by side once well, again. Now, if they were to do it nowadays, you know, it's always politics. They'd, I'm sure they'd have like Rohan and Gondor happily establishing quarantine so mm-hmm. nobody could get infected by the ring. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, Armand's red hair is yeah. always blowing off of his scalp. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know that there's that much more to say about these movies. I mean, I think me and Jake spent a lot of time making space for the fact that they needed to heighten the drama a little bit, but then it is ham-fisted how every chance they get, they heighten the drama and it's going to be a lot worse in the, yeah. Well, the in, later movies, it's not just height, heightening the drama. It's not just taking the chances that's ham-fisted. It's man. It's the, how mm-hmm. they do it too. It's like more slow motion, more, <laughs> Well, it's like it's just, every, the answer is always a, more. Yeah, there's a lot of cheese. What these movies feel like to me again is we don't know what we're doing, and we're just getting as much footage as we can. And f- when you look at it that way, like we're putting this thing together with duct tape, and we're desperate, and nobody's done something like on the scale like this. You can give it a lot of credit for where it does work, but then it starts to make sense of things like, I guess we didn't just get sad enough performances about Gan- after Gandalf died, so everything's going to have to go into slow motion, and everyone's just boo hoo hoo on the side of the mountain, and like there's just things like that where Peter Jackson either lacks the taste or just simply didn't get good material. Same thing with the whole Kate Blanchett perform performance. Like, yeah. I don't know whether or that's thought, this is for kids and kids are dumb, kids are stupid. <laughs> I get Let's make the kids cry. Mm-hmm. I get the sense that it's that which he, does work. Yeah, that yeah. he kind of likes the taste, right? I think he likes the taste. I yeah. think his tastelessness can be fun with some of the yeah. violence and the special effects and stuff. It's it's kind of fun and funny. I like it. But I mean, if you know the history of Peter Jackson and the sort of movies he directed before, yeah, he's a Gonzo horror yeah. director. No and question so it's, about it's it. It's no wonder that the let's eat meat boys or whatever those sorts of works or mm. what he's going to do well. Meats on the menu tonight. That's right. Boys. Yeah. Anything that's kind of vulgar about Tolkien. He's going to Mordor. He gets Mordor pretty mm. well. He gets the threat and the danger and the darkness. And, but even there, it's like, we're not going to portray any of Sauron's attractiveness. Sauron is going to be a power Rangers villain. You know, yeah. he's just going to be a big, broad shouldered, armored, Dude, you know, there's just a little bit too much Zack Snyder-ishness and even the way he portrays his evil. Yeah. Like you can imagine the rock guitars going (laughs) off behind Sauron as he comes out and (laughs) starts wasting those guys. He's awesome, man. He's awesome. (laughs) Sign me up. I'm Team Sauron. (laughs) It really does remind me of Power Rangers, the scene where he's holding his arm out and he's got the ring on and the little montage at the beginning. He's just like really pleased with himself. It's just like Rita Repulsa um, or or Zed, those great Power Rangers villains. Wow. We'll pretend we didn't hear that. (laughs) Let's just move on. (laughs) Those are pulls I could not have made. No, nor am I necessarily sad I can't. At last I am free, now to conquer Earth. Yeah, so there's just a lot of tasteless, hammy stuff. Kate Blanchett turning blue is probably the ultimate example of, you've got a Shakespearean actress, she can deliver that wonderful Tolkien speech about terror and desire and all will love me in despair. She can do yeah. that. She can bring it. You don't have to turn her blue, Peter but Jackson. It's just, yeah, he doesn't know how to trust his actors and his audience. Because, for example... I love the ending, but there is the where right after Frodo 
says what he says to Sam. Sam has like to give this admiring look that's mm-hmm. almost, it's really weird. <laughs> and it almost ruins the scene for me. Well, even in the, oh, we already made fun of the Boromir scene, which I love because it just goes on and on and on. More black arrows and more yeah. heroic last getting up. Yep. The scene that, where Sam goes after Frodo, same thing. Like, we're just going to hold on this a beat too long. He's going to sink under the water and yeah. we're going to, we're going to yeah. ask the question of, is Frodo going to let him drown? <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. come on. <laughs> what kind of a moron <laughs> do we think either one of these characters is? Sam's just going to die. And, and Sam's sink. just like got this sad expression. Yeah, as so he's like... <laughs> it's, it's, it's risable to use the word that my vocabulary website emailed me not too long ago. It's a good one. It's, it's very risable, folks. It is. Um, very. And Peter Jackson, the Gotta ultimate. Ex- rise out of me. The ultimate example <laughs> uh, is. Good job, Jake. The Thanks. dumb scene in Return of the King where they all run in in slow motion and start like jumping on the bed. Yeah. And they're all yeah. like. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah. <laughs> We've all lost our minds. Laughing gas has been released into the tent. Pink Floyd track. There really should be. Then another part where Peter Jackson just like draws it out so long that it becomes funny is those ring wraiths spend a long time in that bedroom slowly drawing oh, yeah. their swords and getting ready to destroy those obvious <laughs> scarecrows <laughs> and then the movie pans over to aragorn at the window and the movie seems so proud of itself like yeah they were in a different room <laughs> bet you didn't think about that did you because you're a moron <laughs> oh man no, I think of the three movies, this is the most successful, but it shows a lot of the weaknesses. It'll just get amplified to 23 in the next movies. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Yeah. That battle at Helm's Deep. It's the whole movie. Yeah, it's a good battle, but it certainly is not the whole book. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a chapter, and it's a pretty short chapter. I, I, will, I just read it. <laughs> I, I will make, yeah, it is. It is. It's really not much in the book, but I'll, I'll make my apologies for that. There there are a lot of things about the two towers how that, was that? How about you save it for yeah, the I'll, two towers I'll, movie? I'll save it. I'll save it. Um, well, we I think it all goes about. back to. I'm, a, I'm afraid we're not going to have many things to talk about when we come to that two towers. Oh, I think we're going to have things to talk about. It's what Jake was saying, that it's hard for a movie like this to live in the fantasy world. Mm-hmm. It really does require. Have you guys seen the Irish filmmakers that do like the Song of the Sea, the and those movies? They're good. Yeah, yeah, they're really good. Yeah, Song of the Sea is great, mm-hmm. but it takes that sort of mentality where you're not so committed to a traditional plot line and are just willing to dwell in this strange world you've mm-hmm. created to tell a story like that. And you could imagine a, a a studio like that getting a hold of the Lord of the Rings and being able to tell each of these books in like two or three movies, it would, it, mm-hmm. they would have to k- divide it like that where it wouldn't feel weird for Helm's Deep to just be a kind of a quick snippet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it makes sense for the minds of Moria to really be the central set piece of this movie, but that the, f- that should have warned people what was to come. Mm-hmm. It's go- it was going to be the big adventure set piece where, and he's going to add everything he can to like escalate things with the, walkways collapsing beneath them as they try to run and mm-hmm. more orcs than the book suggests are there and all that just to make it feel more interesting because he doesn't know how to tell any other story. Well, I think Peter Jackson loves adventure movies. That's the sense I get from yeah. like Peter Jackson really likes his Aragorn a lot. 
and and his Boromir, he likes those guys like Peter Jackson for such a hobbity gentleman, a guy that looks like a hobbit. And anytime you see him, he's like barefoot and stuff. He doesn't want to spend his fantasy life in a world with hobbits. Actually, he wants to see brave men do daring do and heroic. Like that's, Mm. that's what he really likes. And that's fine. I think he does a lot of that stuff. Well, but, you know, the guy, well, we'll talk about it when we get to Two Towers. But. Yeah, but you do have to wonder, you know, is the cinema or this sort of cinema train you to like certain stories where you can't, like, it's unfortunate that, have you guys talked about the Japanese movies and stuff like that? I don't know why I keep going back to them, but. You mean like anime? Uh, no, no, not anime, like the Howl's Moving Castle, yeah, those yeah. sorts of things. They're good. Mm-hmm but they're different and they're weird. And I think they strike people as strange. And it's because there's some of the weird Japanese mysticism and stuff that's really wicked in those as well. Mm-hmm. But they also do a different sort of storytelling. And I don't think it's correct to think that the American movie complex has create is like doing storytelling as the only way it can be done. No, we get the movies we deserve. Yeah. The fact is so, we want simple stories of, and so you get people Heroes. that like get really proud of themselves for only liking The Terminator and Die Hard. Those are both fun movies, but that doesn't mean that those are the greatest movies ever. And The Lord of the Rings book is very different than what we get through that filter. No, he he made an action movie, for better or for worse. I think it's a it's a fine action. It's movie. a good action movie, yeah. but it's not what it's not The Lord of the Rings that Jackson or that uh, Tolkien created. So, but it's still a fun movie. And I think of the three, it's the best by far. Yeah. Uh, Take it on its own terms. It's, it does the job and it's fun and it's got some moving stuff in it and the Mm -hmm. characters are good. There, There is one other thing I'll bring up. This will be my final point to make about this movie. This movie inaugurated and inaugurated. Is that the word I want? Yeah. This movie inaugurated something that I really don't like in special effects. And I think people have kind of figured out to move past it. Like the Rousseau's, for example, don't do this. Most of the Marvel people don't, but the special effects shot where the camera does things that the camera would never do apart from it being a special effects shot. Jackson loves that. Like Sauron's going to be on his tower. He's going to have his arms up. He's going to be calling down snow and the camera is going to whip around him. Whip around him. It it always has to do with Christopher Lee for some reason. Anytime we check in on Isengard, it's like going to be up at the top and then it's going to, zoom down and go through all this wreckage and then come to Soramon. It's like, that always takes me out of a special effects scene because it's like, well, that's not how I would see it if I was there. And so it must just be a special effect. Whereas like, you don't think, Oh, this is a cool bird's eye view. Wild thing. You know, I'd almost, Baz Luhrmann would do this or Guy Ritchie would do this, but he can't because he's not cool enough. The nice thing about, Somebody like Guy Ritchie is that he'll actually use those shots when nothing interesting is going on. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like a trick shot to amp up a normal scene. I I, I don't actually always mind, but a trick shot to amp up a special effects scene, you have to feel like you have to make it feel like the special effect just happened. Like it was just there. Like this is just what our thing looks like. It's not a special effect. It's just it's putting a hat on a hat. We just went and filmed. Yeah, it is. Brandon, you used the term. We're putting a hat on a hat, and you shouldn't put a hat on a hat. You should just leave. Just have one hat. That's right. We just need one hat. And modern special effects people, like the Marvel movies, I think mostly- They know that. They know that. Like, we're just going to film Thanos, the final battle with Thanos from the ground with kind of shaky cam. Like, this is basically how it would look if you were- I'm sure there's violations of that. Sure. But Jackson's a, a rank offender in that category. Mm. 
Sorry, Jackson. I'm sure he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think he's listening to this and bothered? He may be crying. <laughs> he's probably crying. That's how wife is. It's probably crying a lot more than him. Uh, honey, you aren't good at writing screenplays, but... What was her name? Philippa. Philippa. No, it's uh, Fran. Fran Boyle. Fran Boyan. Philippa Boyans and Fran something or other. I don't think her last name's Jackson, but... Hmm. I don't know. Unless she tried. She did try. We can give her credit for trying. <laughs> do or do not, there is no try. Yep. Uh-oh. That's the great wizard Gandalf said. Yeah. What do you guys think about those two old men jabbing stabs at each other and then pretending to fall over? What? <laughs> that's a pretty sweet <laughs> the, scene. The fight between Sar- Saruman and Gandalf. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's one of the most... I love that scene, <laughs> but I think it's one of the stupidest things I've, I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> like, just these two geriatric guys going, and <laughs> falling over and their robes kind of go flipping over their heads. And it's just not very dignified. <sighs> you have elected the way of pain. <laughs> oh, there's one cool moment when Sauron get, Soraman gets mad and he puts out his hand to make Gandalf's staff come flying over to him. Nobody does hand acting better than christopher lee christopher lee was always in like the old 60s dracula movies that he was in he was always the best at like using his hands to because they never gave him yeah, any dialogue he was count dooku he- yeah he's got all those epic hand moments like when they both get cut off and then he looks vaguely perturbed <laughs> wait i may have needed those <laughs> yeah, you can get a limb cut off in star wars no problem yeah cauterize cauterization you can yeah. cut in half and no problem. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, Brandon, final thoughts on Fellowship of the Ring, the movie? I think I've already said them, but it's definitely the best of the three. I still enjoy it. I didn't watch it. I haven't watched it recently. You didn't even know one. you were going to be on this episode. Yeah, you walked but, in for a booking <laughs> session and me and Jake were in the yeah. middle of it. But if I was to choose one to watch right now, it would be the, that one. One so, film to watch to yeah. rule them? One film to rule them all. This would be the one. And in the darkness, bind them. There you go. Yeah. Jake, same question? Yeah, it's the best. Uh, I think I agree, but we'll see how much my Jack's apologist kicks in for the other two. Maybe I'll try and make it come out of defense for two towers. I'm really not sure how well it'll hold up. <sighs> Excited to see. Or here. Yep. Senate at the Movies, thanks to its special guest star, Brandon Chastain of The Booketing fame. If you want to hear a lot more with him, go listen to The Booketing. It comes out every week. My name is Nathan. That's Jake. I produced this thing in Jake both executive produced until next time. You shall not pass. You shan't. You shan't. <laughs>